welcome to a special edition of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Paradiso number one from Image Comics hits your local comic book store on December 6th. And we have the creative team of Ram V and Dev Pramonic to talk about the series. Ram and Dev, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Hey, thanks for having us, Matthew. Well, um, it's exciting. Paradiso has a complex sci-fi narrative. How much backstory and history do you have outlined or written down? A lot, actually, but it's not written down in any kind of organized manner. Um, we actually started working on Paradiso long before I had even contemplated uh, writing comics. Um, the idea for Paradiso actually came up from a discussion that I had had with uh, a friend of mine and an architect called Rajiv. Um, and we had contemplated the idea of setting this story inside a sentient city. Uh, and at the time, you know, we didn't have um, a kind of sprawling narrative that went through the entire story. And so we just wrote like short stories and vignettes and all of the characters and the locations uh, that you see are actually things that came up while we were writing those uh, pieces of short fiction. Uh, so in that sense, there's almost a Tolkien-esque backstory to everything. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't, it, I mean, it grew organically, uh, if, if that makes any sense. And how long is the book set to run for? Uh, so right now, we're, we're, we've told Image that we're thinking of four to five volumes. Um, and that's going to be four slightly oversized issue in each vo- issues in each volume. So, so I would say about like averaging 16. around twenty-eight to thirty pages, I think. Yeah, so about I would say about sixteen to sixteen to twenty issues each, between twenty-four and twenty-eight pages. And you mentioned actual comics, yeah. And you mentioned several factions in the first issue. How hard is it to set up a universe in one issue, but also create a compelling story? I think the hard part in, is probably in, in trying to be subtle about it uh, because you can foreground all of the information to begin with, but that is very that feels very inelegant and, and heavy-handed. So the hard part becomes about being subtle um, and giving people information without it feeling like you're front-loading all of it. Um, but if you've, if you've really thought about the story and you've... You've given people compelling characters to follow, then everything else becomes almost ornamental in that the world building exists only to serve uh, the characters. Uh, yeah. And so, if you look at it that way, that's probably not very hard to do that. But I'm sure, I'm sure Dave uh, will have views in terms of how he's built in a lot of the story into the visuals as well. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how I feel about building the world as well. Like, as long as the basics are strong, as long as you're telling a story compellingly and properly enough, everything else becomes gravy along with it. Like, it enhances the taste of the dish, basically. And uh, I did that a lot with my story. I added small things here and there that had pretty much nothing to do with the story, but just build the world up. Like, show how badly the world has fallen apart like technology how bad like in what bad way the technology is in this world and also stuff like uh, what people like uh, for example if you go through if people go through old technology right 
they'll always come across things that used to be in the pop culture or stuff that used to be uh, around in the past. And adding stuff like that sometimes makes the world feel a bit more real, I feel. And then sometimes you read a comic book and you say to yourself, that would probably read better as a trade. Ram, do you think about that as a writer? I do to an extent. Um, but I also know, um, and I'm very conscious about the fact that I'm writing for a medium that, that serializes the fiction. Um, I think it makes sense to at least approach the first issue that way. Uh, maybe first two issues, but beyond the point, uh, you do realize that the story becomes more important than uh, commitment to the medium, uh, if you will. Uh, and so at some point, you have to believe that you've built a pact of trust with the reader uh, and that the reader is not invested and will say, okay, I will go along with you for the next you know, two or three issues because I know you're building towards something. If that answers the question, I probably wouldn't do that, wouldn't write for the trade on the first two issues. Uh, but I'm not averse to doing that uh, as we get closer to like the climactic part of the arc, if you will. Mm-hmm. And Dev, I have a favorite mm-hmm. panel and character design from the first issue. Can you oh, let me know too. what panel or character you had the most fun with? And we'll see if we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, uh, I have a few favorites, actually. I have a few panels that were some of my favorites. But yeah, definitely my favorite would have to be the second page where I made the watcher, the guy with the tube face. Like tubes out of his face. Okay. That page was the one I had a lot of fun with. And uh, there was also a panel with Honeybad in the later pages where I had a lot of fun. Uh, introdu- I think it was the introduction where we see Honeybad for the first time, I think. Hmm. Uh, there's this, he- there's a low angle shot of him. And that was a really cool angle to take on him. And uh, that was fun to make. And th- that whole page was a lot of fun to make, where we introduced the Guardians, basically. And that's which, exa- which panel are you talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, when I look at, like, these sci-fi, you know, comic books and, like, movies mm-hmm. and, and anime, I kind of tend towards, like, Akira. So when yeah. Kurt yeah. flips the truck. Ah, oh, do you mean uh, the Dandy, the big, uh, the big guy? Oh, is that not his name? Yeah. What's his, what's no? That's that's Dandy actually. Okay. Uh, Cruz is the uh, the uh, antihero. <laughs> I don't know how to. The, the bandit leader is Cruz. Yeah, and, and the big guy who flips a truck yeah. is Mr. Dandy. I, I hate a, I hate calling Cruz a villain because he's not. <laughs> a, uh, but yeah, uh, that's Dandy, and uh, yeah, that that pa- oh that page. The, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that page. The only reason that page stopped being fun was because there's a point in making a page when you look at the page and you know what you're going to do and you look at it and you go, ah, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and then you sit down to make it and then you're like, okay, now this is not fun. I just need to finish this thing because <laughs> I thought it would be a lot of fun, but it's not fun anymore. <laughs> I, just, I, I overestimated myself. Uh, but yeah, that page, uh, in, like the idea was a lot of fun and uh, it was uh, like 70% through, it was pretty fun, but I, it was taking way too long and I was like, no, nah, I have to finish this. The page itself, the page itself yes. like is, is just a nice combination of action and lettering and colors working together yeah. and it, it's, and sometimes it's tough to get all those things to work on the same yeah. page, but like that, I, I love when you can like see 
that's, yeah, motion that's... in in a, in a still picture when you can get a lot of motion and that's what i enjoy yeah. thanks 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 for pointing that one out actually <laughs> my favorite character design is is mr honeybad i i think he is, <laughs> usually whenever people talk about characters they go directly to uh the watcher they're like yeah we love this character but yeah, Honeybat is pretty much my favorite character to draw right now because I am also uh, worried that once I get to draw more Watcher, I'm going to become a fan of drawing him. I'm going to be crazy about Watcher. But uh, yeah, Honeybat is definitely my favorite panel, uh, my favorite panel, favorite character to draw. Uh, like there's a few more panels in the later issues where Honeybat really comes out. Like you really see Honeybat, and that, those were so much fun to make. And like I said, there's. So- I think. Oh. Sorry, sorry, Matthew. But I think I think Honeybat is a favorite across all <laughs> yeah. the all the creators and collaborators. Like, yeah. You know how you know how sometimes you write a story and then you find that there's a side character who starts becoming more and more important as the narrative goes along. And I feel like that's what's happening with Honeybat and that as the issues progress, everybody's like, so what happens to him? <laughs> <laughs> and they'll get to know. Yeah, he's, <laughs> the bu- he's the Bubba Fett of your book. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. <laughs> although, although he has, he, he has I, I feel like, he ha- like Boba Fett, if you are bringing up Boba Fett, I think Boba Fett, people made Boba Fett, basically. He didn't have much to do in the movies. Just nothing much, but Honeybear actually has a more integral part to play, and in that sense, I think he has a bit more character than Boba Fett. <laughs> like, uh, at least if you canonically take the movies, and after that, people just ran with Boba Fett. <laughs> and then talking about the designs, I mean, I mentioned this before. Like Akira, you have so many you have Blade Runner. Yeah, you, got, you get so yeah. much history in this like kind of sci-fi genre, but you guys yeah. have kind of come up with your own design of your universe that's unique in some ways Mm -hmm. and did you guys like really try to make this work and be unique of like hey i don't want to steal from blade runner i don't want to steal from you know all these other previous post-apocalypse sci-fi you know movies or comic books and it's kind of tough but like there is like an originality like i'm kind of getting like a i don't want to say pirate kind of thing but (laughs) i'm also but i'm also getting kind of like a i feel like a shipyard vibe yeah from the character <laughs> designs. Aquarius, yeah. So the, the thing is, uh, I think I think we, uh, I don't know where I heard the saying, but yeah, but I think it was Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle. He's, uh, I think he wrote that uh, nothing under the sun is really original. Everything is inspiration taken from others. I think that was the case with Paradiso mostly, because if you are, if you take proper inspiration and are like, yeah, I want to depict something, uh, then it takes a life of its own, I feel. Because I, t- yeah, like you said, Akira, I took a lot of inspiration from Neo Tokyo. Because I, I think that is one book where you see the city before the destruction and after the destruction. So you have a very nice contrasting view of both the uh, both sides, right? That was one place that I really took a lot of uh, inspiration from. And uh, I didn't have a lot of Blade Runner, but yeah, subliminally, I think I took notes from Blade Runner as well. Uh, if you look at the city in in a whole. Yeah, but I mean, but I also want to say here that we did very consciously have discussions where we were designing yeah. the characters yeah. and we went, we don't want this to look like yeah, exactly. something else, exactly. uh, whether that was movies or comics or, or, or any of it. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think that there is 
maybe in, in the world, yeah, we definitely have taken inspiration yeah, both yeah. from uh, real no, life that's... settings and and uh, films and comics. Uh, mm -hmm. But with the characters, I think we've definitely uh, uh, tended yeah, the towards the more original. Uh, but uh, I think I think Matthew was asking about the cityscape. I think no, no, he was talking about the designs. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, cityscape-wise, I think uh, we like we took bits and pieces, but we managed to make it look original in itself. And the characters, I'll have to agree with Ram because we the characters were really, I think we made something original there. Like we sat together and we were like, yeah, let's work this out. We went back and forth on the character designs and we were like, okay, this. And whenever I came up with something that looked a bit derivative, Ram was like, no, this can't work. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So <laughs> with characters, we, we did a, back, a lot of back and forth. Um, but yeah, both backgrounds and characters, they were just really fun. And I hope it look, I hope like it comes through. No, I was definitely complimenting you on the originality of character designs mm -hmm. and everything like that because it's something that, you yeah. know, I've, I, I, I see tons of books. I mean, this is what I do for a living is I read and critique books and, and seeing yeah. them come out. And, you know, I can definitely tell when some people are like, okay, this is a straight ripoff from Blade Runner. But this is not. This is, there's like I said, I was like, there's kind of like a, a Merchant Marines vibe kind of going on yeah. with the character designs and everything like that. And actually, I mean, a lot. A great part of our sort of design aesthetic, um, and uh, this is when David come in early too, is that we wanted to. So Paradiso, the city, only understands humanity through like the vast reservoirs of data and past videos that she has. So a lot of what you'll see in the city is kind of also inspired by yeah. our current pop cultural influences. Yeah. So you'll note that Honeybad has like elements of maybe a maybe a samurai about him and watcher has elements of like 1940s Humphrey Bogart about him. Uh, and dandy, as you say, is definitely very sort of shipyard fish boat captain esque vibe about him. And all yeah. the, these characters that you just mentioned, they're all connected to the city. Hmm. Um, I don't want to give away spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so some of them might have tangential connections to the city. Um, but I mean, it's that, it's that kind of vaguely nebulous area. They, they have, they have their own motivations and they have their own, uh, sort of prerogatives, if you will. Um, but there's definitely a connection to the city, especially if you're a cyborg in the city, you're connected to the city one way or the other for the better or for the worse. I, like semantically, everyone has a connection to the city. I think all the characters we see. They have some connection to the city, like if uh, you sure. look at it that way. <laughs> sure, sure. For the non-spoilery people. <laughs> and I love talking about colors. How big of a role did colors have in telling the story in the first issue? Oh, uh, Dave, you want to take that, or should I? <laughs> I think the colors really came through really well. In the first, not just I won't just say the first issue. Uh, throughout the arc, I think colors played an important role and. Dear Blood did a really good job uh, because when we first started, we had Alex Olazzo on our team and uh, when he was like, yeah, I can't continue with this book anymore uh, because of personal reasons, we were like, oh my God, how are we going to follow this up? You know, like we were like, oh, what, what are we going to do? Because his colors were really like eye-poppingly good. And uh, then we got Dear Blood on board and uh, somehow she made us, like, she made the transition very easily. Like, uh, 
the first issue was uh, when she followed up Solazzo and uh, it seemed like she really knew what she was doing and uh, it, you can see that. Uh, the pages are like the color scheme of parody. So as we had thought was we wanted to keep a very muted sort of color, like vibrant palette, but the colors should be muted because, you know, it's a world that has been that's old and has been destroyed and, you know, everything is old and <laughs> ruined now. So we wanted to keep it muted, but also have colors that popped quite a bit. And I think Diabla found the perfect balance and made the, even the like darkest panels, you know, light up. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about. So the fact that we started with Alex at first and he really kind of laid down a style, uh, at least mm -hmm. for the opening pages. Uh, and then we brought Dervla in and she um, it's really right. hard to, to, to go to some to, to go to a colorist and then tell them that I want you to do it in a style that has already been established. Uh, but I felt like she already had a lot of that painterly uh, style which Alex had established. Um, and so when she did the test pages, it was like this massive relief to look at like, oh my gosh, she gets it. So mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we lucked out with getting some really good colorists on board. Um, I always find that, I mean, even when I'm putting together creative teams for for other projects, I always find that getting the right colorist is probably the hardest thing to do for me. So um, yeah, we lucked out. We lucked out with the kind of collaborators <laughs> that we got on this project. <laughs> Numa is the last word of the book. Talk about how you yeah. chose this word. Ah, uh, there's there's history there. So <laughs> exactly. originally it was called something else. It was called a word we shall not utter. <laughs> um, but, and but but I, I mean I work with I work here with a writer studio uh, called White Noise. Uh, shout out to Dan Waters, Ryan O'Sullivan, Alex Pacnado, and I sent them the script before the first issue was done, and. I think the comment that I got universally was, you need to change that name. Uh, and so I remember it was Dan and I sitting there going, well, I need something that means the soul, that means the breath of life, if you will. And we went through like a bunch of combinations until Dan pointed out that, oh, yeah, the Greek word for, for breath of life is, is pneuma. And suddenly it kind of all fell into the right place, if you if you see what I mean, like there's machines, there's pneumatics, yeah, um, pneumatic. and then and then there's pneuma, which means the breath of life. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Uh, and so that's where that word comes from. But it was it was originally called something very different. <laughs> <laughs> As usual, all the old Greek people have the answers. <laughs> and that's interesting that like several people came at you and said like, Hey, this word is the one you need to change. Like that, how that criticism is, is very important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, um, and, and I've, I've been, I've had people disagree with me on this, um, fair play to them, but I feel like there's no sense in being precious about your work once you've put it down on paper. Um, and these guys, uh, Dan, Ryan, and Alex are people that I really trust, and I really enjoy their work, and so I admire their work. Uh, and so, when it comes to, you know, getting that first round of feedback on a script, they're usually the guys that I go to. Um, same thing with Lizzie Kay, who's the editor on the book. 
Like once mm -hmm. I've had feedback from these guys, I'll send it over to her and take her inputs on board. So I'm, I think the work is better for it. I think the work, I think an idea gets better at least once you've fleshed it out, if you have yeah. the ability to share it around with people that you trust. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, I usually work with Ram on this, like whenever we are doing a page, uh, I do the layouts first and then I send it over to Ram and we discuss what's wrong with the page. If there's something that needs to be changed. And without that, I, I think the issue would have lost a lot. Like uh, that made the issue a more concise and tell the story much better because he would always, he wouldn't mince words. He'd be like, no, this isn't working, dude, change that. And I'm, if I thought that he was wrong, I'd be like, ah, I think that's wrong. Uh, it's, a, it's a back and forth, but sometimes I'd be like, ah, yeah, I see it. I see what you mean. And sometimes he'd have to convince me. I'd be like, ah, no, I think, and then he'd be like, ah, but this, and I'm like, okay, I, I see your point there. So, I mean, like, I think any any good collaboration yeah, needs yeah. both sort of friendship and... But uh, yeah, the ability to take negative criticism is very important, at, at least in creative lines. You mean positive in, criticism, not negative criticism. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if someone tells you that this isn't working, yeah. you take it as an affront to your capabilities and you're like, ah, oh. that's a bad attitude to have. You should always yeah. listen to people you trust and move accordingly. Nice. Time to bring the heavy. Why are you guys comic book creators? Oh. Uh, um, <laughs> you go first, Dave. You go first. Uh, because ah, the answer is um, for me it's pretty simple. Because this is what I, this is what I know how to do well. Like this is what I know how to do well, and I really want to do it. Like, those two answers are the only ones that matter to me when I, when it comes to comics. Like I have pretty much been reading comics ever since I could pick one up and understand what was being told on the page. And I actually started reading comics before I completely grasped the English language. So like a lot of the dialogue would be like, I would struggle through it. Uh, this is like, I was a very small kid, uh, but the pictures would tell me the story more better than the words themselves. And I, I kept doing that over and over and over uh, till I was older. And then I was like, okay, I, I have an instinctual grasp of what works. And I found out that I could do it myself. I, I did it well, and also that I wanted to do it. As I went to engineering college first. Uh, I went there for a four-year course. I did that, and when I came out of college, I realized that, nah, I don't want to do that. I, I want to draw. So I started drawing professionally. Actually, I started drawing professionally when I, I was in college. And as we went along, as I went along, I kept getting better and better and i realized that yeah this is what i want to do yeah for me i mean i was i've always been in love with storytelling um and in any form or medium uh, even as a kid i used to get called up a lot for telling lies but they wouldn't be like they wouldn't be like malicious lies they'd be like <laughs> I, I was in the backyard and i and i saw an alien that would be the kind of lie <laughs> that i would come up with and i used to get told off a lot for doing that uh, and I realize now that it was just me um, trying to sort of create narratives and, and have fun doing that. And then, you know, typical to Indian households, my parents kind of put me off of comics um, that I used to read as a kid. And they say, oh, you have to grow up. You have to read 
more serious books and stuff like that, which was, I mean, myopic on their part. But so I went to college. I studied chemical engineering. I went to the U.S. to to study it further. And really there, I was about 21 at the time, I think. And a friend of mine dropped the first volume of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman um, in my lap. And that kind of blew my mind. And I went, oh, man, I rediscovered comics. And I went, there's so much you can do with this medium. And then I went on to sort of devour everything Gaiman had done and um, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and Ellis and Ennis. And so that was really... Uh, my my re-education in comics, if you will. Uh, and yeah, I've been in love with the medium ever since. Uh, I don't see myself ever not wanting to do comic book stories just because um, I think it's a unique medium that you can do stuff in that you cannot do in, in other mediums. And Ram, you answered my next question, but Dev, what was the comic book you read that made you think I want to work in the comic book industry. Hmm. Uh, I think um, that would have to be uh, Batman Hush. Uh, would have to be that because uh, before that, all the books that I had read, uh, like I had never seen artwork like that before. Uh, uh, before that, all the comic, all the books I had read, the artwork seemed like there weren't very like my it's like my call access to comics is also very very limited because uh, we didn't have like the latest comics in shops here we get all the back ends right very like um, outdated comics right so the when i first read batman hush i read it at a store like i would go to the because i couldn't afford it i was like uh, maybe uh 11 10 maybe and I couldn't afford it. So I would go to the store every day and I would read it at the store itself. Like to the point where <clears throat> where the store owners pretty much knew me. They were like, oh, he's come to read that book. <laughs> and eventually I saved up enough money to buy that. Uh, and I read it. Uh, and when I read that, I was like, yeah, this looks pretty damn cool. And for a while I wanted to draw like Jim Lee. I, I became a fan of his and I wanted to draw like him. But then that became my gateway into the world of New York comics, you know, and uh, looking at artwork, I, was, I just kept sifting through artworks. And that basically became my gateway into the modern world of comic book art. And so this, as you know, well, there's so many awesome comic book artists around. And I learned from all of them and I... It tried to incorporate the best parts of all the artists uh, and uh, like learning from them, uh, learning the different techniques and uh, trying to make up my own style as I go. So yeah, I think Batman Hush really opened my eyes to the world of the modern comics. Dev, you live in India, correct? Yeah, yeah. The comic book scene here in Chicago and even in where I live now and in Florida... Um, there's mm -hmm. a scene and everything like that. You know, people were doing like drink and draws and people come together and collaborators and studios and stuff like that. What's what's the comic book scene where you are? Uh, over here, the comic book scene, uh, it's pretty much like it's very small and niche in India, like very niche. Like you if you think the comic book industry over there in Chicago and um, like the northern U.S. is niche, then. You don't know what niche comic book industry is <laughs> unless you come to India. It's very niche and very small. 
But I've got to say, people do have a love for comics. People do love stories being told pictorially. And we do have a few publishers who are trying to, you know, put out books that are, you know, the books that sell. Uh, but I think, like, we can do a lot more. I think, because India has a very big predisposition towards mythological stories, I feel. Uh, you very rarely see science fiction or crime noir stories come out of India. So in that way, I think India could do a lot more. We could, we could expand our horizons, expand our uh, uh, the genre of stories we are telling. But other than that, I think uh, our, we, our market does have potential for comics. We do have that. But we also need to, you know, like master the econ economics of good comic book market, basically. The, but yeah, it does have potential. Ram and Dev, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Paradiso. Wow, uh, thanks, at, uh, thanks for having us on. That was Ram V and Dev Pramonic, and their book, Paradiso, number one from Image Comics, comes out on December 6th. This concludes our special edition of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the interview, comment, review, and subscribe. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots. <laughs>